Hi, and welcome to the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. Uh, so, Sarah, what's what are you eating, and what's eating you? <laughs> okay. I have a really embarrassing confession to make, which is I went to Subway for the first time in like, I don't know, probably a year and a half. And I ordered my my usual sub and it just tasted so powerfully of dopamine like it never had before (laughs) that, sir, I've eaten Subway three times this week and it is just as delicious every single time. And I am personally humiliated by this, but like. It's delicious. No, you should uh, log on. There's a K-drama um, <laughs> sponsored by Subway that oh takes God. place in a Subway. Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I just, I invite you <laughs> to watch it because Subway is, for some God unknown reason, extremely popular in South Korea. That is so awesome. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I so, would love to go to a South Korean subway, but they have kimchi on the menu. <laughs> I hope so. So what is your, well, kimchi-less, uh, like, go-to sub, though? Oh, yeah. Um, bread, honestly, doesn't matter. To me, they all taste the same. But uh, turkey, untoasted, no cheese, uh, bacon, and then basically all the veggies except for pickles and olives, and then chipotle Southwest sauce. And it is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really good. Uh, and you also dodged the not tuna tuna, so you're fine. I know. It's it's really funny because I ended up posting on social media. I wanted to ask what everybody's Subway order is because I might I want to order somebody else's Subway. Maybe they're, maybe they're on some secret amazing shit that I don't know about. And like a third of the people were just talking about like, <laughs> listen, I know this is bad. I am under absolutely no, I'm suffering from no illusions about the quality of Subway food, but I love this sandwich and I eat it a lot. <laughs> you know what? Whatever. Like, are they still alive? Yes. Yeah, we're all Doing good. Fine. Yeah. We're fine. What about you? What are, what are you eating and what's eating you? So uh, this is some more, this is more an aspirational thing I want to eat. <laughs> So apparently, Cold Stone now has um, uh, Nintendo th- for a sh- limited time Nintendo themed flavors. Um, Does it taste like different parts of the Nintendo? Like some <laughs> taste like silicone, and no, some taste like motherboard. Different- yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, it feels like a controller hurled across the room in anger. <laughs> um, That's just the taste of blood from it. Yeah. You know, your teeth cutting the inside of your mouth. Uh, it's uh, they're based on different Nintendo games, so like mm. you can you can try an Animal Crossing uh, uh, themed. Uh, I have no idea what Animal Crossing would taste like, or even what I would <laughs> want an Animal Crossing uh, themed ice cream to taste like. But like, Lord knows, I'm curious, um, and it's actually real, unlike the uh, Oreo mayonnaise, which is not oh. real. Yeah, damn it. I know it turned out that that was that was just you know a fun prank, but that that I, was not a real thing. But this this is. Let's all be honest. If anybody's going to do it, it's Utah, and if you're going to find it anywhere, <laughs> maybe you know. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, I appreciated the the effort that went into like creating and, and printing out that label. Like, yeah. good for them. They 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 did they did some really good meme work there. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I I generally try to act like cold stone doesn't exist um, <laughs> because I don't want to, you know, be 300,000 pounds. <laughs> um, but I, I am going to try these probably when I road trip uh, to the East coast, yes! I will probably, you know, um, 
treat myself at some point. And also, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, ice cream cakes for birthdays. <laughs> Cold Stone's ice cream cakes are really, really good. I can imagine, especially because, like, you can probably customize the fuck out of them. Yeah. Yes, you can. Oh. But even if you don't, they're still very good. And, the, 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 you know, Cold Stone is not a paying uh, sponsor. <laughs> yes. I was say, we really got, we really got our unpaid neither corporate Subway. food. Yeah. We got our really unpaid <laughs> corporate plugs in. I guess this is a week for, you know, um, uh, American mass culture comfort food. Yeah, yeah. We, You and I are both in, like, in pretty hardcore survival mode at this point, like, in terms of weathering uh change and uh adapting to a lot more work coming down the pipe uh so listen we're doing what we can it's cold stone and subway all day baby yeah i'm gonna be straight but like i've like barely left my apartment other than to like get food um and uh, and i've just been making like giant batches of rice and just like (laughs) throwing random shit on them and shoveling it into my face because like (laughs) that seems to be the most efficient way um oh that's great but Speaking of uh, sort of like slapdash <laughs> things <laughs> that don't necessarily come together the way we want them to, uh, this week's topic is about uh, municipal uh, policies around homelessness. Right. Um, and I know that this is a large topic because it varies a lot place to place, but a lot of these debates can get um, – pretty heated because people feel uh, uh, feel a lot of ways about them. And uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about that. And so, Sarah, can you tell me a little bit about what's been going on in your neck of the woods uh, yeah. around these type of city policies? So three progressive uh, city councilors, Zach Adamson, Vop Osley, and, ooh, I forget the white lady's name, but that's fine. Um, but they proposed uh, Proposition 256, um, which uh, – so before now, there we have a lot of really awesome mutual aid organizations in Indianapolis. We have uh, Food Not Bombs and No Questions Asked Pantry. Um, because of Adam, we just have a, like a ton of these like really awesome and like um, you know uh, responsive and really caring groups uh, that do these um, distribution of things like clothes and food and stuff. Um, and one of them, um, the reason that I'm speaking about this is because I feel like the the um, talking points have flown so far off the rails um, and they're talking about our three most progressive counselors as fascists, which is kind of how you know that like, you know, it's like when people started calling George W. Bush not really a Republican and you're like, yo, like, bro. Like, yeah, let, let, let me be clear here. Uh, as you can probably tell by the name of the podcast, we at the Perpetual Stew fully support feeding everybody yes we fully yes support clothing everyone we are yes. in in favor of mutual aid organizations and and very very against the criminalization of homelessness the criminalization of like uh, uh you know any sort of like like the raiding of uh, encampments and um you know i i really think that like if if you see like a homeless person in your neighborhood no you don't and no you didn't like there's no reason to criminalize people who are really surviving on the fringes. Yes. And at this, like these, I guess what I'm saying is like, we're back to sort of my favorite adage, which is two things can be true at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but there have been some distribution events where groups show up and these are not like, I don't know if they're any of the major groups. I feel like all the ones that I know would be better stewards than this. Um, but there have been some like pretty 
pretty large sort of trash dumps because of this. Um, and my ex-partner, my former partner, lived across the street from a public park where they did a lot of these events right in the middle of downtown. And one time I asked him what was the food truck event that was going on there because every time I'd driven by, there was always like a bunch of like food containers like falling out of the trash cans, just like overflowing onto the ground in the public park. And he said, oh, no, there's a group that's been, you know, giving away food to the homeless uh, on that park. And I was like, oh, boy. Uh, the other thing that um, the, the proposition requires is for uh, standard food safety regulations to be followed um, for these groups to register. And it is free to register. The, the form is already on the public safety website. Um, and what it would build in is the ability for they, you have to register and give them 48 hours notice by email. You don't have to send a letter or anything. Um, so it's there's no financial barrier to do any of these things. And what the city wants to do is to provide two free porta potties at the sites and also to make sure that DPW comes by and picks up the trash. And why is that important just from like a general city governance perspective. I was going to say from a from a public health perspective, uh, we're talking about people who have uh, erratic eating schedules. So, you know, you give the you give somebody who hasn't eaten in a while a really big full meal, they're going to shit. Um, sorry, I don't mean to be gross, yeah. but like and poop is a, a tremendous carrier of of pathogens that can become uh, endemic to especially to a group like the homeless because we're talking about like open air pooping. And poop gets onto skin, skin touches food, food gets in the body, so on and so forth. Um, and then trash, of course, is also a public health uh, thing because it attracts uh, rats or mice, which carry their own host of diseases. Um, and I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase garbage is magnetic or trash is magnetic, yeah. but trash attracts other trash in the same way that if one person dumps their stuff on the side of the road, the next time you drive by it, there'll be three bags of trash by it. Um so it's, this is all about being a good steward of a public space, right? And it's like, you don't want, you know, I, I, I know that this is being phrased and framed as kind of a NIMBY, not in my backyard thing, but controlling things like human waste and trash waste for the homeless community also helps protect their health as well. Mm -hmm. It's not just about like, ew, the park looks dirty. It's like, well you know, accumulated trash. One of the reasons that New York City has such a terrible rat problem is it's not possible for them to pick up all the trash that accumulates from that many people on time. And so what they're trying to do, as far as I know, because I really like Zach Adamson and VOP. I've like met them personally because this is how city council works, hopefully. Uh, and they're not NIMBYs. They're not like... Um, they're not anti-homeless. What I, I, I really believe in my heart of hearts, naive as though as I may be, is these people are trying to come up with a workable solution that solves the problem of making sure that these communities are being fed safe food, prepared in a safe way, and that they can keep, uh, you know, prevent further public health problems from arising from these events. I don't know how you would read that. Yeah. I mean, I would say that if this were NIMBYism, there would be additional barriers, yeah. Like they would have to pay for the city accommodations that they right. would have to submit 83 forms in triplicate, you know, <laughs> right, right, 33 right. weeks in advance. By the way, the, the form is single page. And if, and the, um, they are good with you when you email the city to let them know it's just like a one sentence email. We're going to be feeding this many people at this location from these hours on this day. Yeah. That's all you have to say. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that you could also set up some sort of recurring thing that you know That's every correct. Tuesday exactly. Yep. So this this to re, this to me just based on see having looked at a bunch of ordinances uh, of various of these types, this is not at least from my perspective, if enacted the way that it's written, would not create additional problems or significant barriers. And can it, I? It, yeah. Can I also just, uh, I want to get off right off the top so I can avoid shitty tweets or whatever. Uh, the criticisms of it are that the city can rescind your ability to do distribution events if you continually, you know, don't pick up your trash or it creates, you know, a public menace or there's violence, for example, at repeated events or something like that. The city can deny your application, basically. Um, and then other people are worried about the collection of that information being used to police these groups. And then I had, some, I had a friend of mine who works in the Department of Public Works message me and she's like, yeah, we have like heroin and shootings in Indianapolis. Like if there's not going to be any shootings at your food distribution <laughs> event, probably the cops aren't going to come. I just thought that was a funny response. You know, we're, we, we, it's a, the point being, it's a million person city. We don't have cops uh, with a time of day to go harass people handing out sandwiches to the homeless, you know? Yeah. And this is also why, you know, if you're worried about that, then, you know, keep working on the city council and make sure that these sort of ordinances are enforced the way that they're supposed to be yep. uh, enforced to actually, you know, ensure the health and safety of the public. And I mean, the entire public, this includes um, the unhoused community, mm -hmm. um, but it also includes the people who also use those spaces as well, yep. because their interests matter yep. um, too. So, but wh why have... So who has been accused of fascism here? What have the actual <laughs> accusations? Where are they coming from? What? <laughs> well, so a lot of these mutual org, mutual aid organizations are run by um, self-described um, anarchists. And <clears throat> one of their criticisms is that flexibility, time flexibility, is essential to mutual aid. And I think I would agree with that. Um what I would disagree with is because the city, the ordinance specifically calls out 10 or more people, right? So we're not talking about the ability to take clothes to a family of five. You know, we're not talking about the ability to bake a lasagna and take it over to someone's house or to drop it off to a single person. Mm -hmm. You can still do that. There's no need for you to do that. And listen, anarchists, like if you're anarchists, decentralized baby split up like you know everybody can take nine people and still be in compliance with the law i'm fine with that like <laughs> and also you know. you're talking about things that aren't using public spaces yeah um, that aren't that aren't creating significant things that could cause a problem for the public at large right. and and as you well know you know the reasons that people become homeless are infinitely complicated which mm -hmm. is you know either you have um maybe uh, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder that is difficult to manage with medication because you've never had a very good doctor who's done anything but put you on lithium, which makes you feel like shit. Or, you know, you have truly fallen down every single economic rung and just fallen through the cracks of every program that is meant to help people keep from becoming homeless. Some people don't want to be a part of society anymore. It's like a pretty small minority of the homeless, but you know, um, and there's a big difference between acutely homeless, which is usually those sort of economic circumstances, and chronic homelessness, which is something that happens to people when they can't get out of the cycle. Um, and I guess, I guess what 
is bothering me is that the rhetoric of calling so there is a poster that went around that was accusing these three sorry it's not funny i think it puts a target on their head quite frankly but accuse them of attempted murder and what <laughs> I mean, wait why I, I, I don't like the letter that i read that was signed by all these mutual aid organizations said like people will die because of this and i can't like i understand i can i can explain very cogently how someone will die because of an abortion ban like there are a lot of things where laws that will end in someone dying uh is you know hidden sort of in the subtext of the law but i'm i'm really struggling to understand so i guess let's pause you talk for a while because i'm talking a lot but what i want you to talk about is all like the kind of ordinances that get passed to criminalize homelessness and, and what strikes you as being different about these mm-hmm. provisions? So a lot of the, I think that you've provided a lot of really important perspective um, about how complicated this issue is and also how unhelpful uh, <laughs> a lot of the rhetoric is. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, I, again, I just want to establish fully that like we believe every person deserves the dignity of having a home, yeah. of having, uh, you know, consistent food, shelter, access to the resources they need, whether those are economic, social, healthcare, whatever they may be. Right. Um, I'm sure, I don't know what your, what your specific stance is, but I'm a, I'm a big time housing first believer. Like I really believe that like just a tiny home or like a Lowe's, like a community of Lowe's, uh, you know, backyard barns, just something that gives people permanence, safety and an address because it's impossible to engage with society without an address. 100%. And there's like a ton of empirical research on this. And the answer is it's way, way cheaper to provide safe housing to people who need it (laughs) than it is to try to clean up the problems of the people not having uh, access to stable shelter. Right. That like is just 100% clear. And the problem we have is that some of the things that so there have been some well-meaning reforms that have failed, and right. then there are reforms that are just outward, at like out and out punitive. And I think that they fall into slightly different buckets, um, because some of the things that we've tried to do, like homeless shelters, enforce cycles of homelessness and uh, people being unhoused and exacerbate Correct. other issues, but not on purpose. Right. <laughs> um, yes. Well, oh, other- yes. Sorry, I I didn't want to interrupt you. I just, I, you know, this idea of like that some of this stuff does happen on purpose, but a lot of it is people trying to solve a problem that feels within their grasp and crucially within the city's budget that ends up creating different problems because this is legislation. Yeah, 100%. And then there are policies that are just out and out punitive and, and are meant not to help but to hurt. Correct. Like the demolition of homeless encampments uh, through violence without any other alternatives, right. making public spaces unsafe or um, uncomfortable to sleep in or to even be in. Um, classic examples are putting like – are creating benches or sidewalks or those sort of things that it's impossible to lie down and sleep on. Right. Which is, I'm going to be honest, is just being a dick. Yeah, just um, being a dick. Just being a dick. Yeah. And the farther you push people out to the periphery, the less likely it is they're going to get access to the to the resources and assistance they need right. um, to, to break these cycles. 
And then, um, then a lot of it is also then police policies, how the police are utilized. Are they breaking up families who are unhoused, but, you know, being unhoused is not child abuse. Um, but this can then lead to all, all sorts of other stressors, um, especially for people who might have substance abuse issues, who might have um, trauma, that the that bringing the state in, state violence into that situation, shattering families, then just exacerbates those problems and makes it worse for everyone. Because it's, it's not as if the foster system is, <laughs> you know, is all rainbows and, and, and unicorns. Yeah. So I, I want to differentiate those two because I th- sometimes think that they get bucketed together. Um, but I want to lay out that distinction ahead of time because I think the ordinance here is sensible. Yep. I think the ordinance here is trying to strike a good balance between what the, keeping the public at large safe and, safe and healthy, but also allowing um, assistance to flow to the unhoused community uh in uh in as effective and safe a way as possible so i think that targeting people trying to strike those good faith compromises is counterproductive yeah because i'm going to be honest like there would be in the long run if there continued to just be massive um garbage trash problems associated with these mutual aid events you would not get sensible. Eventually, the political winds would make it. You would not get sensible reforms. Yep. You would get punitive reforms. That's. This is exactly the point that I failed to make because I was so offended by being called a fascist that I kind of lost, kind of lost my my way in the rhetoric. But you are like uh, the least fascistic person I know. So like, <laughs> take that, take that as it for what you will. Well, and what I said was, you know. Let's let's talk about the substance of the ordinance. You know, calling calling your city councilors like three of the most progressive city councilors that we have working. Meanwhile, like our Republican city councilors are like, I don't understand why we can't just shoot them and burn their bodies for heat. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, why can't we just dry them and use them for fuel? Yeah. Um, but you know, like this is Zach Adamson and uh, and Vop especially are just like our are pretty progressive. And um, uh, I think it's one of those situations that I know, like, I don't want to get into a debate about respectability politics and all that shit, but this is ultimately coalition building. And it's really hard to build a coalition with somebody that you've (laughs) told to their face, you believe they're guilty of attempted murder, you know? I mean, you can see how that might raise a few hackles, increase Mm -hmm. the temperature of the room. A lot of the ordinances that create the conditions for homelessness are uh, on the surface often appear neutral or benign-ish. That one classic example are um, zoning ordinances or also like building ordinances, especially um, for multifamily or dense housing. I was going to say zoning, building, and believe it or not, sex offender laws. So there's a... There's a now famous, basically, uh, homeless, it's a community, it's an encampment in Florida, basically in a swamp, because of the way that these ordinances are written, you know, they get further and further away of places that you can be near kids. And now there's a homeless encampment of people who have been convicted of preying on children 
who are now living together in a chronically stressful environment. <laughs> Just saying, not yeah. our best, not our best job with that one. No, because as you can imagine that putting people with similar overlapping stressors in a densely packed area yeah. is not going to help them access or reintegrate into broader society. Yeah. That unfortunately, a lot of the sort of like nimbyism comes for people like arguing about whether or not they want a homeless shelter on this block or that block or sure. whatever. But I'm going to be fully transparent here and what my policy views are. We shouldn't have homeless shelters. Yeah. We should simply have available housing units dispersed yeah. rather evenly um, throughout the entirety of areas so that, you know, people who then move to these uh, who, who need housing can get it. But then also they're not surrounded by other people who are also socially and economically um, <laughs> marginalized. Correct. That instead, they can build relationships and take advantage of opportunities that are dispersed throughout the community um, so that we don't wind up with dense pockets of problems, but instead reintegrate people into the sort of web of our community so that they can then build out the social economic um, networks they need to stand on their own two feet. Oh my God. We, you know, We had every time we have an economic depression, somebody writes a stupid fucking think piece about, you know, how once you're out of a job for a certain period of time, it gets infinitely harder to get back in a job. And it's like, fucking yeah, Brad, like, yeah, like the longer you're homeless and, you know, it's like it's like people who get out of prison after 20 years and then fucking kill themselves because they're like. It's I'm in space now. Like you, I I went in on Earth and I come out and everything's space age and futuristic, and I'm not adjusted for any of this. It's like, and there are also just insane number of rules, yeah, um, that people have to follow. There's an it's just a lot of bureaucracy that doesn't make much sense. Like, yeah. for example, there's some communities for uh, housing assistance Oops, sorry. that. No, it's no problem. That exclude people who are in transitional living facilities. Right. So it's really easy to accident, like in trying to improve your situation for tonight. Yeah. Make it harder for you to get help tomorrow. Yep. Um, which seems like a catch twenty two. <laughs> there was I, I uh, another great podcast that I would really highly encourage everyone to listen to is the you're wrong about episode specifically about homelessness because this woman finally got approved for housing vouchers. And because of a flaw in the system, you still had to pay the first month's rent. So the guy's like, yeah, just, just, um, you know, whenever you get that 800 bucks and she's like, I'm sorry, are you fucking serious? Like, and went to her caseworker and was like, this, you know, that like, this I am just as homeless now because this is an impossible barrier, and it's like, it's comical. It, it if it's comical in the sense that you gotta laugh because you'd otherwise you'd cry. Because I mean, that sounds like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, like joke. Yeah, like yeah, bit. Yeah, it sounds like a bit. It sounds like something from again an early two thousands Will Ferrell movie where, you know, as soon as everything goes right, it still manages to go totally wrong and. I can't, I can't begin to 
explain how many kinds of homelessness that we see. You know, we talk about visible homelessness and invisible homelessness and, you know, nimbyism comes for visible homelessness. Nimbyism comes for, uh, you know, people laying on the sidewalk or whatever. Um, but I think what is really beautiful about this, um, proposition is it actually does open those services to everyone. So if you're living in your car or you're, you know, couch surfing or whatever, you still need to eat and you still need clothes. And um, this still makes that a possibility and open to all those people. And I think what the reason that I feel like I want to strangle all these children is saying that spontaneity is the key to helping homelessness is like, you think that spontaneity is better than every homeless person in Indianapolis knowing that they can go this t this day at this time and get this food and this day at this time that they get this food. Like, yeah, that is insane yeah. logic. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be fully transparent is that like, I admire the, the work that sure. mutual aid communities do. Um, they are not a replacement for systemic reforms. Thank that they you. simply cannot bring the resources to bear that are yeah. necessary to solve problems as complicated and deeply embedded as homelessness. And yeah. like, <sighs> there are, there are a lot of organizations I really admire who work in this space. And, you know, my work with the drug courts and obviously with, you know, addiction and alternative courts, um, Got, a, got to see a lot of the ways that these problems overlap and intersect, right? right? And there's a, there was a great um, uh, drug rehabilitation center, uh, re residential, um, near where I lived in St. Louis. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. The problem yeah. is, and they were, the problem is, is that you can only stay there for so long, right? Correct. That one, yep. once you, you are clean and you've stayed clean, they need to find a way to transition you out. Right. And this is always the problem, right? It's how does one move from these tightly controlled residential spaces to a much looser <laughs> uh, reintegration into society that doesn't require constant oversight um, and and uh, and and trying to while trying to avoid relapses and a continuation of the problems. Right. And the problem is that you keep running into is that very few places want to provide these people with housing. Correct. Very few communities want those people living there, which, in my opinion, like making it, as you said, visible yeah. is the problem. That instead yeah. of that, we can talk a lot about housing policy, but generally we should be building more. Yeah. We should be building denser and yeah. we should be building with an eye toward affordability. Correct. Which is not what we do right now. No. no. That St. Louis was one of the only municipalities, and this is pre-COVID, mm -hmm. but for several years, like I think it was a five-year period in St. Louis, it was the only it was the only city in the entire United States where one hundred percent of new resident uh, residential construction was luxury. Jesus Christ. Also, have you driven through St. Louis lately? Because yeah. there are parts of it that need some fucking help. Yes. And so if you've never been to St. Louis, St. Louis, 
um, has made like a very conscious effort to try to create density by essentially mm-hmm. abandoning parts of the city. I was going to say, because there are blocks of abandoned houses, like blocks and blocks and blocks, like a fucking ghost town in, yeah. in urban areas, like in dense urban areas. It's like intentional Detroit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we just have, you know, St. Louis just hasn't gotten around to bulldozing those buildings yet. But like what they've done instead is that by basically abandoning those parts of the city, they've tried to cram people into smaller and smaller sections of the city because the population is declining. Um, And there are basically two large, there are basically two economic drivers for the city, which is like the healthcare sector, Mm -hmm. particularly geriatric medicine. And um, universities and education, because you have mm-hmm. SLU, you have WashU, you have Mizzou, you have a bunch of, of great schools. Mm. Um, you have Harris Stowe. Um, yeah. You have some really great schools there. But one of the problems with like edu- with uh, uh, with healthcare is that you get a lot of young healthcare professionals, right? And then with student housing, you get students from all over the country who generally tend to be quite affluent. The yep. ones who are getting housing, so there's this been this huge boom in luxury student housing with yeah. rents for St. Louis that are insane. But if you're from California and New York, they look reasonable. Jesus Christ, um, they look absolutely reasonable. So the only affordable housing you generally tend to get is extremely old and in bad repair. Yep. While all the new construction has things like literally saltwater pools and like. Um, tanning beds uh yeah. uh in 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 like the gym areas it's ridiculous yep um but uh it's not unusual there, there are cities like austin who had like 98 percent construction that would be considered luxury yep. um but what most people need what most people in st louis need are just what you would call just like bog standard apartments like with yeah. decent air conditioning decent heating like a, a tub, <laughs> a working, a working bathtub, working bathroom, a working kitchen that's clean. They don't need say, salt water pools. They don't need <laughs> granite countertops. They just want a place that's clean and safe for them yeah. to live and, and raise their family with a lock on the door. Yeah, yeah. And I, I say this, and I have to say that you know, at the time when um, my ex and I, who and she's disabled, we're looking for a place. We needed a handicap accessible place. Yep, but. Uh, Almost none of the places that were handicap accessible um, were affordable because so many of the affordable buildings were very old and for historic reasons and blah, 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 blah. They didn't have elevators. Yep. So if you were disabled, you would wind up in a situation where you had to pay through the nose. Yep. So imagine being a disabled person who is unhoused and you're trying to find – subsidized or free housing and which is all in p- old buildings yep. that don't have elevators. Yep. Or, <laughs> like, or it's like the New York, you know, the, in the New York housing projects, the elevators exist, but they hardly ever work and the, no one ever sends anybody out to fix them. Yeah. They exist. And I'm doing air quotes with my <laughs> yeah. fingers. Yeah. Um, and there's a long history of this. There's actually this, uh, and this is another episode, one of the largest um, public housing uh, developments in United States history was built literally blocks from where I used to live. Yeah. Um, now it's being it's uh, it's been bulldozed, and now it's being um, transformed. I think into a school or a mall or something. I can't remember. Yep. Um, 
but that was the exact problem. When they opened, they were really nice, but lack of maintenance, just yep. like un- in disinterest in the project eventually turned them into hell holes when yep. they didn't have to be. And th- this is what I mean, that if we had more affordable housing dispersed generously across cities, not just in you know random places or you know uh, sprawled out so much into suburbs, uh, suburbs, um, <laughs> then you, you, could, you could provide free housing to help people out and yeah. not have it be some big community intervention because, yeah. you know, they maybe make up 1% of the residents of any particular building. You wouldn't even know who it was. Correct. I think that ultimately is the way to solve these kinds of problems by taking things that people oppose when they're visible mm-hmm. and make them invisible. And oddly enough, when you do that, then you solve these problems that like yes. unleashing freaking goon squads into um, homeless encampments. It's It reminds me a little bit of like squeezing a balloon to like move the air from one place yep. to another. Yeah. <laughs> and again, we are in a situation where housing construction has not kept up with demand uh relative to economic income but i live on a on in a working class neighborhood on a working class side of town and we got houses all over the place that need a little bit of renovation to get them you know to be livable again and uh you know we're, we're back to well, what's the problem and it's puritanism again <laughs> uh uh where you know it's like well, they need to, everybody needs to work for your house. And it's like, again, no, you don't. Like it is, it is, we're back to this delusion that everybody is much, much further separated from homelessness than they would care to believe, you know? I think this is also an issue where a lot of progressive, so-called progressives um, or more centrist progressives um kind of show a little bit of their disconnection from other parts of the coalition. Yep. Um, and I, we have criticized the like far left fringe. So I want to <laughs> criticize, you know, uh, the, the, the centrist fringe. Yeah. That like um, opposing a homeless shelter in your neighborhood is a bad thing. Mm. <laughs> like I'm just going to say straight up, it's a bad yep. thing. Um, yep. That, if you are opposing that, but not trying to change your local ordinances yep. um, so that there can be more multifamily and dense, affordable housing, then you are doing like a bad thing. Full stop. No question. Yep. Like don't come after me on that. Like it is objectively bad. <laughs> and I come from an area, uh, you know, in the suburbs of New York city that have insane construction ordinances precisely to avoid multifamily home construction. Yep. Um, so, and this is like a very liberal part of, of of the country, a very liberal part of New York State. But like, fuck, it drives me crazy, and <laughs> I just want, I just needed to get that off my chest. Well, I mean, that's where like to explain nimbyism, it means I'm in favor of that, just not in my backyard, right? Like, it's yeah. I I like I like the conceptual idea of housing the homeless. I just don't want to see it or have it be anywhere near me. <laughs> And, and I understand that criticism of Prop 256 from that perspective, where a lot of these sort of 
weasel words and and like phrases in propositions like this become the the hinge pin the the fulcrum of nimbyism and excluding homeless people and you know sort of shooing them out of your whatever middle class neighborhood and and you know Colorado is a great example um, specifically you know Denver and Boulder Boulder is a great example of a very very liberal um, you know area of the country that essentially <laughs> made it so that the police police can just put you in jail for being homeless you know like. And, um, and let me put it this way: like, if our goal is to help people, you know, get jobs, you know, yeah. have stable lives, the farther out to the fringes of the community you physically push them, the harder you make it for them to do any of those things. Yep. That, like, especially since we underfund mass transit, I'm just yeah. saying that, like, <laughs> yeah. but just like imagine, you, you know, you finally find a house, you fi- you finally find an apartment, you finally find a job, but the job is two and a half hours bus ride each way. Yeah. And you have like, ha- like we're asking people not just to like do well or to do do good things. We're asking them to be fucking superhuman. That's right. From from with like very little support, and and like for all the people out there who just like well you know I managed to do these things. Like you weren't trying to overcome all of the associated legal, uh, uh, economic, and um, and social problems that come that accumulate after years of being unhoused that you then have yeah. to sort of unpack and try to deal with uh, when you're trying to put your life back together. It's like, we're asking them not just to like build the plane while they're flying the plane. Yeah. We're like asking them literally to try to build a space shuttle while they're in <laughs> outer space already without a suit. I'm, I'm, I'm only laughing. I'm laughing because first of all, that is a hilarious metaphor. And secondly, <laughs> because I feel like a lot of this anger comes from like the anarchists and the and the mutual aid groups comes from like the feeling that like those problems seem so far out of out of our control right the Mm. idea of like being able to assert any kind of change uh in a world where we still have you know homelessness feels impossible but making a turkey sandwich and giving it to somebody feels you know very much within your control and it feels like you know you get like a tangible moment of change of like this person was hungry and now they're not for a while and i think if i could shake these sweet babies and tell them anything which is we can do both like we can do both and it's not asking so the thing that i got all all like revved up about is uh homelessness exacerbates all of your health problems so if you're if you have mild arthritis as a house person well, now you live outside in, in fluctuating temperatures with bad protection in the winter. Everybody knows cold makes joints stiffer and you're laying on the sidewalk or you're laying, you know, you're you're laying on whatever you can find all the way up to, you know, you have cancer or you have emphysema. You know, now you're living outside in the most polluted air. You're unsafe. You're you're chronically stressed because of your safety and you're chronically stressed because of your survival and that has an effect on your T cells and your B cells and your whole immune system and so on and so forth. And so when they say that being, <laughs> being, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It's just so insane. But like saying that being asked to uh, adhere to food safety rules when you're feeding the homeless, when you're feeding the homeless, when you're possibly introducing yeah. foodborne pathogens to people who are, in a very, very bad immunological place. And you don't think that you should have to like 
make it on stainless steel surfaces where everybody washes their hands, you know? Mm-hmm. Come on. Come on. And I'm going to say those aren't huge asks. They're they just, not. They're, they're not. Um, and I, I mean, we both work in, you know, you work in food, <laughs> in yeah. hospitality and food. You know, I work in the nonprofit space, but like of all the hoops to jump through, that's not a significant one. I mean, I'm, no. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be honest that like, uh, there are a lot of hoops I jump through uh, <laughs> and uh, this is not, <laughs> this to me is just like laughably small. That's what I'm, that, I think, you know, uh, a inspected kitchen is, there's a, every kitchen that's in a church is an inspected kitchen and like any church worth their salt who's like, oh, what are you doing feeding the homeless? Yeah, come on in. Like, don't worry about it. No rental fee. Um but I, so the person that got all up in my DMs telling me that I was a fascist, uh, said, so if you, if, if you like made your product, uh, and you gave salmonella, do you think that you should be fined for that? And I was like, yes, like yeah. what? And she's like, oh, do you think so? Like if you gave more than one person salmonella, like they should just be able to shut down your whole business. And I was like, again, yes, again. Yes, like I don't think anybody who repeatedly gives people foodborne illness should keep being allowed to professionally make food. Like, what point are you trying to make here? Like, this is insane. I want, uh, just like this is kind of a just a fun anecdote, but I think one that might be a little relatable to people is that like you remember you know Typhoid Mary? Yeah, yeah, the the legend of Typhoid Mary. You want to know <laughs> yeah. the way she kept giving people typhoid typhus? You- she was an asymptomatic carrier and would not wash her hands. And what was her job? A cook for rich families. And she killed multiple families, whole families. She killed whole families. Yeah. Another I'm just thing I just, <laughs> another thing I want to say is, you know, a lot of these people are looking at it from a fascist government preventing good actors from doing their jobs. And another thing that I would really encourage people to look at is whether these laws are also a progressive, you know, uh, um, proactive government trying to prevent bad actors from doing something. So, yes. you know, in the, by the same token, somebody who is insane and right wing and hell bent on killing a bunch of homeless people, there's nothing stopping them from putting, you know, a couple grains of fentanyl in some sandwiches and handing them out to 100 people and killing 100 people. You know, they also wouldn't be able to trace that person. Yeah, we... There are a lot of things that government needs to balance, and that's one of them. Um, yeah. And again, like there are enough actual bad actors in the world to go after actual targets uh, that <laughs> I think we should hold our fire. I, I understand that it feels easier to attack people who are on your side because they'll actually listen to you. That's correct. Um, and that, like, if you called, you know. Um, I don't know. Uh, one of the proud boys of fascists, they'd be like, and yeah. yeah. So I have it tattooed. Uh, um, so that can feel kind of pointless, but like this friendly fire isn't helping. And, and this, this makes me want to pivot um, to the larger question of sort of like the cultures that we're seeing in a lot of advocacy organizations mm. that, you know, a lot of people were very upset with how disorganized, you know, post Dobbs, the reproductive rights movement was both mm-hmm. inside the government and in the activist left. And and what was your perception about why that was happening? Once again, we're back to infighting. You know what I mean? Like we're back to 
I feel like people really want to litigate like every time every time something happens that could have been prevented by policy, we want to relitigate policy of the past. And not only is that not very useful, but like saying, you know, well, Ruth Bader Ginsburg should have retired under Obama. That's correct. She's dead, though, and that didn't happen. So we got to we got to deal with the cards that were were handed right now. And you and I have been talking about leftist infighting, and it is things like, like you said, accusing the only city councilor who might want to listen to you of being an attempted murderer and a fascist is like, Mm -hmm. we're back to bad coalition building. And it's like a common complaint that is very, very well founded because at the end of the day, we're still all people. And like, you know, Josh Hawley would look me dead in the eye and say, you're a murderer and a baby killer. So I don't really feel particularly compelled to like be kind to Josh Hawley. However, (laughs) Vop Osley like lives near me. You know what I mean? Like I might go to his house when we have porch parties in, in May. Uh, and that's somebody who's listening. And I think that instead of just all this vim and vigor and piss and vinegar and, (laughs) you know, I know everybody in Indianapolis. So I happened to get my hands on, uh, uh, email back and forth between the, one of the counselors and uh, somebody who was criticizing it. And it said, Uh, The counselor said, can you point out to me which part of this ordinance is a barrier to you guys continuing your work? And he wrote back, the guy wrote back, well, the whole thing is a barrier. And Zach said, well, again, like what what provision in the law do you think would be uh, most preventative to to keep people from doing this work? And again, he said, it's not one thing, it's the whole thing. And I feel like this is one of those situations where instead of looking at our broad goals, it's like a competition to be the most right mm-hmm. among a group of, group of people who are all broadly right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and correct, we mean that as in correct. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah correct. Uh, who are broadly correct in their thinking um, and not we, being willing to compromise, you know, like as <laughs> we're, we suffer from the same problem of the, right being unwilling to compromise on anything there are certain portions of like this very activist and like young vibrant you know passionate left who similarly refuse to uh compromise on things that are well well within a a reasonable window of compromise you know don't compromise with anti-choice democrats we don't want them get that shit out of here but please compromise with somebody who says hey listen do this. Keep doing it. We love it. Mm-hmm. Do it in a commercial kitchen and let us know when you're doing it so we can send you a shitter, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's – which doesn't seem like a huge deal. I feel like everyone would like to have porta potties uh, at that event. I'm just saying. Yeah, um, like, like also maybe the homeless people would like to sit down on a can for once. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that the people who are in that area would appreciate not they're they're not being like trash everywhere yeah. uh, for a while afterwards. So that way and, you can you can build more community support for these events. And some of these neighborhoods where they're doing these events are working class neighborhoods. It's not yeah. like they're you know going up to you know the fucking governor's mansion and doing an event. Although that would be fun and cool. Um, but you know these are in po- equally poor neighborhoods, and it's like. Do those neighbors not matter? Like, are those NIMBYs? If we're saying like, hey, I already live in a, for example, my house, a 720 square foot house. And I'm, you know, 
I worked really hard to have this. Can you maybe not strew trash all over my front yard? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and, th- and that's fair enough. You're not saying don't do it. You're just like, do it, but please like be respectful and not have trash and poop everywhere. Yeah, no trash and poop. I feel like I feel like that's kind of a universal no trash, no poop. And also, aren't we also supposed to be environmentalists? Like, how can we say that preventing trash and poop <laughs> being in the environment is like a bad thing, you know? Yeah, and like, I feel like this infighting consumes so much energy because like, because I think there is so much frustration at the lack of movement. Um, or especially when, you know, you're in areas where you largely don't have significant political power right. statewide or nationally. Um, you can feel like this is the only thing you can do. But like, so I, you know, th- this is something where, you know, I'm, I'm trying to push large boulders, uh, you know, like moving, changing things in legal institutions, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, these are extremely slow turning ships. Yeah. And so... There's always a feeling of, you know, frustration that things are, aren't moving as quickly as we want. But, like, I always have to try to remind people that, like, it took a long time for us to get here. Yeah. Um, and nothing's been done for a while. So, like, we have to break that inertia. And then, like, there'll be periods when nothing feels like it's happening. And then everything happens all at once. Right? And it's – and nothing occurs in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if if – the sad truth is that if the progressive counselors don't put forth a proposition that aims to deal with the, the problems that the Republicans hate so much, the Republicans are going to put forth a really punitive one. Like they're going to make applying for the license $200 and the fine $1,000 instead of free and $250 for your first offense, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I, it's an election that's a really year. Good point. Like yeah, it's an and, election year, and people do care about that. People care yeah. about trash on their lawns. Like they, yeah. they do. Um, they care about poop on their lawns even more. I would assume. I used to live on a corner lot at Forty Second and Capitol, which is uh, four blocks north of Thirty Eighth Street, which was our redlining uh, boundary. And you know, it was a it was a poor working class neighborhood, and I had trash all over my yard all the time because I lived on a public thoroughfare. And it doesn't make me a NIMBY to not want fucking trash <laughs> in my yard. I'm sorry. This is, good, this is a good point, and like we have to show, I think, just on a pragmatic level, that you know, progressive governance can actually be responsive yep. uh, to the needs of the community for what what people actually want. That like one of the big problems um, that keeps coming up in uh, in Seattle is the problem of, you know, unhoused people of drug use. And the problem isn't that the, the problem in my opinion is not that um, these things exist yeah. that like, you know, the, these are, these are issues in many, many places. The problem is that the, pro- the progressive governance there is not actually putting forth solutions that will work. That's right. That like saying, oh, we're not going to um, uh, uh, break up homeless encampments. Probably sensible, probably the right thing to do. But when Mm -hmm. these encampments are starting to encroach on people's property and make neighborhoods dangerous, Mm -hmm. then you have to say, well, you know, what are the things driving (laughs) the creation of this? How can we, you know, how can we alleviate this problem in a way that's not punitive? Right. And the problem comes is that when the coalition goes after itself and stops any sort of reforms from happening, then you're starting to see people just saying like, you know, we should just throw them all in jail, that we should kick them all out of the city. It gets ugly. 
So like it needs to be effective in, in, in a real world way that like scoring internet points doesn't do anything. Oh my God. Okay. So something that I am a big fan of is supervised consumption sites for things like heroin because no one deserves to like die in a fucking alley. Yeah. Uh, if you have an overdose, um, then you have, you know, people who are trained to use naproxen. No, naproxen is uh, cyberprocessing. Yeah, <laughs> Painkiller. Naloxone, yes. Yeah. So you have yeah, people who are, who are trained with naloxone. <laughs> and then you also have like a, a safe needle disposal, right? Like, well, it's going to be a long time until, you know, here in Indiana, we get somewhere for people to safely consume their heroin. That's probably, if not ever going to happen, it'll be a really long time. But on the flip side, you know, like you said, one of the realities of homelessness is injectable drug use. And if your distribution event is from, you know, 12 to 4, maybe you need to make it 12 to 6 and your last two hours are spent with a big brute trash can and a grabber going around picking up things like needles, even if even if it wasn't your people to to leave them there in the first place. You know, that's we're back to community good. And I think what bothers me about this is like, I see no downside on behalf of the service providers. Like I understand that getting organized and filling out forms is a drag. Trust me. I get it. Uh, but it's free. They only require 48 hours of notice and they want to help you do your job better. You know, mm -hmm. they want to create an overall better experience at these sites and at these events for the unhoused and for the neighborhood. And I, I'm, just really struggling to see the downside unless you're trying to argue that the barrier is having to do any kind of organization or any kind of planning whatsoever or the burden of finding uh, a commercial or an inspected kitchen to use, which, like I said, they're kind of everywhere and you could start getting organized and do like fundraisers if you need to raise a few hundred bucks to you know get a site or you can do it for free in a church mm -hmm. I, i'm just really seeing the barrier unless the barrier is any small amount of having your shit together as an yeah. organization it was funny because i was you know before this i accidentally texted you something about <laughs> spreadsheets right <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you for noting that I sent it to the wrong person. Just want to make like, sure that, yeah, I got to the right person. Yeah. I just want to note that this is the unsexy part of, um, <laughs> of, 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 of doing charity work of nonprofits, of, of changing yeah. society. It's just like, sometimes you got to fill out a bunch of spreadsheets. Sometimes yeah. you have to, then after you fill them out, you realize they're not working and then you need to completely reorganize the way that you're doing them. Yep. This is not the part that, you know, people dream about, but it is also <laughs> excruciatingly important yeah. to actual change. And I'll, I'll give one example of someone I think is just an incredibly effective um, advocate for change who's done sort of the invisible work that makes the world better. Yeah. Um, I have a good friend and she was working, um, she, she's worked in a lot of nonprofits. She now works at the CDC as an epidemiologist. Cool. But she's been in public health for, for a long time. Mm -hmm. And she was uh, organizing an event at the UN about clean cook stoves. And for people who don't know, this yep. is a major problem in parts of the world where, where people still use um, like, uh, like coal okay. or dung burning um, yeah. stoves uh, to prepare food because they release a lot of carcinogens. Right. Um, and other, you, you know, sorry. I was going to say, you have people getting what is essentially black lung from just being in their houses. Yeah, and this particularly impacts women and children. Correct. Right. Um, 
and in developing countries. So she was talking to a bunch of activists in this area. And the problem they kept running to is that there wasn't any like set classification or taxonomy of cookstoves. So, you know, one group who in the area, the advocates were like really passionate about it, but they would talk about cookstoves in a way or refer to them in ways that no one else understood what the F they were talking about. (laughs) Sure. So she just created a standardized taxonomy and database of cookstoves. Awesome. So that they could all understand what the others were talking about. Yep. Right. I want to note that she got a shout out from Hillary Clinton at that that UN event. (laughs) Um, She's also like big into uh, form design, making sure that forms are designed properly. So you actually get the data um, collected that you want. I've been, I spent like the last several weeks designing surveys and forms and, and, and data collection structures. It's tedious as hell. I um, appreciate I appreciate those people so much that when I know that I have one in my workplace, I'm just like, I kind of treat them like a celebrity. I'm like, hey, I'm going to lunch. Do you, do you want like a cookie? Or like, <laughs> I just really want to make sure that you're good and you're happy because, oh my God, look how organized you are and how organized you make all of us. I want to know, I am not that person naturally, but like <laughs> for the right thing, I will buckle down, learn best practices and then, and then make it happen. Although I yeah. hope to hire one of those people in the future. <laughs> yeah. To, to, uh, to bring up a great thing that uh, my, the same ex-partner who lived over by military park was formerly in the army. And he said, everybody packs their backpack the same. And I said, I was like making a joke about like, oh yeah, conformist in the military. And he's like, no, it's so that if you are unconscious, your, you know, whoever you're with, your, you know, person that's in the trenches with you knows exactly where your shit is in your backpack. So, because that's exactly where his shit is in his backpack. And it's the same concept applied to these organizations, which is if you want to grow them and grow your impact, you're going to have to have, you know, onboarding and training. Like the reason that, uh, there's a great, fabulous organization here um, whose fucking name I can never remember when I need to. They're huge. Mm, second helping, if that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. But they're huge. It's a huge organization. They do tons of food security work. And when you go to volunteer with them, they have a, sp- a system. They got a process down where by the time you're done, you have a functional familiarity with serve safe practices uh, you know what the organization, where the food's going to go. Like, you know why you're cooking it. And it's real quick. It, you know, it's it's for volunteers, obviously. But that is how you multiply your impact. And, I, you know, if these people aren't willing to do that level of preparation, it's like, we'll just say, well, we don't, we don't really, we're not really that serious about this. We just mm-hmm. kind of want to keep making our sandwiches. See, and, and, and that's fine. Go and make that's your fine. sandwiches. That's fine. That's great. Yeah, but like, that don't try to convince me that that's like the actual intervention that's needed. Right. Um, that I, I just going to say that like a lot of these sort of things are a lot more boring yeah. um, and a lot less like flashy than people think. Yeah. Um, and I get frustrated sometimes because, you know, uh, we're talking to um, we were talking to a potential funder um, and he's just like, you know, I don't want to pay for infrastructure. Wow. Um, and we're just like, but that's what we need right now. I was like, listen, dude, all we need is a server. Like, we're literally trying to store data. That's no, a but prime. Like, but that's what we need. Like, the reason, <laughs> yeah. like, you don't have access to have all of this data and all those fun, uh, all those that all those fun studies and scholarship that oh. you really want to fund. The reason is, is that no one has wanted to pay for this infrastructure. Ex- I, 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 like, do, 
do any of these people who have the money to throw around ever make the fucking connection between this thing doesn't exist and I want it to exist, but I'm not going to pay for a foundation. I just kind of want you to stick build the rest of the house. We'll deal with a foundation later. It's like, yeah. that's not how you build a house, man. And I even say this is one thing that the right definitely, that conservatives definitely have better. They seem to understand that you need to like lay a ground floor of a building before you can build a fucking solarium. Like every person, <laughs> every right wing personality who we all hate has been elevated by a donor. So someone literally plucked Ben Shapiro out of obscurity and gave him a ton of money to just like go off and be the best, worst person he can be <laughs> and build out an entire organization, build out an people. org. Yeah. Do, do outreach, do campus outreach and create more of the worst people you've ever met. And we don't have that on the left of like, because, well, we have Bill we Gates. Keep- well, we keep, the problem we keep running into, I, I have to say, is that I look at a lot of these organizations and they're always a founder and one other person. Right. And they have like no one else. They have oh. no support staff. They have nothing. And the reason is, is that like they are never able to raise enough money to actually build anything. So all they do is they tweet and they talk and they like, you know, say nice things about their donors and they might release like an amicus brief occasionally. But in terms of actually building real things in the world – they never can get there. Can I can can I just pause for a second and just rail against the last person to discover this problem that's been going on for a really long time? And nothing drives me fucking crazier than when an organization is like, oh, I think I should make a foundation about this, like food security. And it's like, yeah, again, Second Helpings has like a fleet of drivers and like maybe you could give them money or like offer your... So the guy that I'm renting my space from, Tom Hanley, coolest dude ever, uh, has a fleet of vehicles that have huge trailers on them because his nonprofit is about taking bikes to schools and setting up like bike things. It's cool. But when the pandemic hit, he called uh, Gleaners, the food bank and Second Helpings and said, I have all these trucks. I have a ton of trucks Mm -hmm. and all these trailers. Let me help you distribute food, you know. He didn't reinvent the fucking wheel. He went to the experts that have been doing this for 20 fucking years and said, hey, I bet you guys could use some more capacity. And guess what? They really could. Yeah. And that's been interesting for us uh, the same way that we're like we've been talking to people. I can't say who, but like a very large center who does legal research. We're not saying, oh, we're going to do this research for you. We're like, you know, we're looking to collect this data. Are you interested in it? Um, and what we can partner with to do together with it. And they're like, yes, 100%. We want this. We want this data. Right. Um, and that's the sort of thing. And the key is to find a gap that somebody else isn't doing. Right. But what I find often is that when you do that, it takes a while to get things built and scaled. And right. I know that it's like, it feels really good to like donate to the flashy, uh, to get like an instant result. But like yeah. Leonard Leo spent 40 years destroying American democracy through the courts, through the Federalist <laughs> Society. Like we have to be equally as long-term oriented <laughs> and systematic about our efforts to fix things as, you know, the Leonard Leos of the world, the Grover Norquists of the world are in like annihilating uh, the good things about our American society. And what I would love for these people like anarchists, people with who are young and have a lot of energy, what I would love for them to turn their eye on is something that we've already done a show about, which is toxic nonprofits who have outgrown their, their mission and who have outbloated their mission. You know, they're, they're spilling over, over their fundraising pants. And 
I would love for them to hold those places accountable rather than going after like the city wants to, I, I, you know, Zach Adams would really like for there not to be any homeless people just like as a human being, but Mm -hmm. he has to work within a city that has a budget that has rules for making things go a certain way. And, you know, instead I I just wish people spent their time holding. If if you're going to call, if you're going to call Zach Adams a murderer or attempted murderer, (laughs) you know, why don't we point that energy at, yeah. you know, the Red Cross or one of these, like the Susan G. Komen Foundation and demand a little bit more transparency out of all these businesses that are, or, sorry, <laughs> out of all these nonprofits. <laughs> 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 uh, just saying, Susan Komen, Susan G. Komen Foundation makes a lot of money licensing that little pink ribbon. Just saying. Uh, yeah, I have, <laughs> you know how I feel about these things. I'm not going to go after any, <laughs> anyone in specific here, but like, I literally just got a text from my co-founder, um, saying like, I sometimes feel we're the only legal org in this space who's actually trying to build something. Yeah. Um, and not just like fucking tweeting about it or talking occasionally about it on TV. I was going to um, say being a, being a thought leader on MSNBC, you mean? Like, now let me let me let me put this straight. Like if MSNBC wants to bring me on to be a thought leader, I will happily <laughs> accept the money. I'm happy to do that because and part of it is because I think we need a better quality thought leader. Sure. We need people yeah. who actually know shit and they aren't just narcissists. <laughs> yeah. Um but when you actually want to affect change in the world, like you actually need to build things that will last longer than you. Um, that you need to build things in a way so that they can continue even after you're gone. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that work I have to say is tedious and unsexy. Like I've been, uh, (laughs) talking to, I've been working with our intern on showing her, like help, uh, showing her all the various systems that I'm trying to build Mm. best practices. Incidentally, this is a lot of the work my brother does. He's giving me some really good advice, Mm -hmm. um, that it's easier to build it the right way first than it is to fix it, you know, 10 years later. Um, but these are the sorts of things I think that get, and I'm going to say this in political leadership too, that get undersold that like one thing Hillary Clinton never was like the most scintillating, um, speaker or public figure, but as someone who understands very well how to put teams together and create actual things in the world, she's extremely, extremely competent at that. And often these sort of more, I think they're coded as more female yep. or like emotional intelligence sort of things yep. um, get really under appreciated and, and, and underpaid in the market compared to skills that are coded as more male, which is like pounding your chest and yelling about how awesome <laughs> you are, like Elon Musk style. Literally um, yeah. not to, not to, again, I just complained about relitigating past elections, but again, it's like, um, I want to vote for Bernie and I'd like to see how he's going to make this happen. And then Elizabeth Warren is like, you know, I have like a binder on that. It's like a hundred pages deep. I can just tell you like line by line, the, the legislation I would pass to make that happen. And they're like, yeah, I just like, I'm not really moved by the story by like the narrative. And she's like, who fucking cares? What the fuck are you talking about? Like we need to get, we need to get free healthcare and free childcare. Like, who cares? Yeah, I love, I had a really good time reading Elizabeth Warren's policy proposals because they were so beautiful. 
They're beautiful. Also, like, she is a funny person. And if, like, you know, if you dig into that, I'm sure there's a little bit of, you know, a little tongue and cheekiness. Oh, she is hilarious. And she is also, like, I think she's also an excellent communicator. I think one thing she brings, at least this is my feeling, is that she comes from a very different life background than most of our politicians with very different life experiences, um, particularly as a single mother. Um, Yep. And uh, I also enjoyed the way that she, uh, you know, just saw her husband. He was a professor in her class and she was just like, going to marry that guy. <laughs> I was like, good for her. Um, I'm like, good for her. Know what you want. And um, also, you know, I, uh, she, she is, to me, exactly what a public servant should be. Same. Um, and I know that, again, I think that you put it out really well, like, a lot of people don't feel "quote unquote" inspired by her, but maybe it's just because I'm a weirdo. Like I felt incredibly inspired by her because I would read, you know, the policies that she had, and I listened to her talk about that. And she had thought through these issues with such care and precision, and yeah. always made sure that they were grounded in reality and not and what we could do to like big things, really achieve big goals, yeah. but do them in very realistic ways and not just like dream that somehow we can you know make enough sandwiches to solve homelessness right right and and uh you know can can still go on colbert and demonstrate her point with i forget if it was pizza or waffles or whatever but it was some food anyway uh i remember there was uh, my one of my favorite pieces of effective legislation I feel like I'm really telling on myself just with that phrase right there, but was the Waxman Markey cap and cap and trade bill. And it made other problems. It wasn't perfect legislation, but what it did was it looked at the reality of business as it is like capitalistic business's job is to make profit. And they said, all right, fine. How do we work our, our environmental goals into what these people's goals are and what they said was you know what if what if we got them to trade carbon like stocks and the business said fuck yeah fuck yeah we can and for a while at least you know before it was uh incrementally basically dismantled by lobbying um it was really effective and it got a lot of um scrubbing technology in use and and standardized across many industries and it was really good and companies could still make their money and they couldn't bitch and moan about how it was, you know, preventing them from from having profits. They made, in fact, a very direct way to get create profit from lowering your carbon emissions, you know? Yeah. And it, it was built off of previous successes with things like acid rain, right? Right. Um, that we knew that it worked and we could enact it in a larger way. But the unfortunate part is that because we never really leaned into it as much as we could have, the time horizons now for cap, or tra- cap and trade provisions are insufficient. Uh, to reach climate goals so it's one of those situations where like yeah we wanted like a miracle cure but we had one that would have worked get it uh, gotten us there eventually but because we didn't go we didn't you know lean into the imperfect but workable solution now we're stuck in a much 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 worse more dire situation um and and, and i am someone i'm not never going to tell people out there not to dream Right. I want people to dream and, and know what their ultimate goals are. Yeah. And I think that you should also always be idealistic in your goals, but you should always be pragmatic in how you get in how you get there. Beautiful. Um, and uh, it's that mix, I think, that that we need. You can't be just like an uber cynic like Mitch McConnell. Um, right. <laughs> but seeing how Mitch McConnell is able to achieve the things that he wants is those are good lessons to take. Listen, and 
<clears throat> we can take lessons on strategy from evil sons of bitches without being evil sons of bitches ourselves. You know, like his his goals are evil. His methods are just hard line and uncompromising, right? And like coalitional support. And it's like, well, you can do that without just it being a good thing, you know? And I guess why I feel so shitty in this moment is like, people are becoming really cynical about voting and it's an understandable emotion to feel. But, you know, when we say things like you have to vote, you have to vote, you have to vote, you have to vote. And now we have a stacked Supreme court and a, and a liberal government and the stacked Supreme court is just laying waste to, you know, 70 years of progress. Uh, what we meant was this is, this is why you vote. <laughs> <laughs> See how we had Trump and now now we have to live with what happens when you don't vote because these things last into the future. And um, uh, sometimes it just feels like we get to this point of things where it's like somebody needs to do something. And it's like, yeah, well, we said, hey, somebody really needs to do something like we've been saying somebody really needs to do something for like 25 years. And it was boring. And you said it was like boring policy. And now it's like an emergency. <laughs> and uh <laughs> you know well i, I i'm just gonna say uh <laughs> i've been i've been thinking a lot in, in about ergodic versus non-ergodic systems and i'm not gonna get into the details of this now <laughs> but like some things are extremely path dependent and yeah. matter a lot on a, and depend a great deal on initial conditions yeah so um thinking oh I, I won't vote this cycle but if things go wrong i'll vote next cycle um that can be an extremely bad way of thinking about things. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I, I want to say in terms of things that, that do make me happy in the world, that do give me hope. Um, obviously this podcast, I love talking to you, Sarah. <laughs> but great. more importantly, I have to say when I'm down at the end of the day, I, I love metal honey products. I really do. <laughs> They make me happy. <laughs> this is like uh, this is like taking that one exit off of that Pennsylvania Turnpike that just shoots <laughs> you into the wall. This is how we're great segue. Um, yes, me too. In fact, once we hang up, so what I was doing before I came here is uh, getting some stuff ready in my other space, and I'm going to go back there after we're done because my circadian rhythm is fucked, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go work there until probably five or six in the morning sleep until noon or two o'clock and then do some events tomorrow night because <laughs> who knows what's happening oh man oh but yeah you can shop on metalhoney.com and get some product and say hey sorry about your sanity and you and me both so uh yeah but oh, i have to say i definitely use food to uh make myself more <laughs> sane uh, <laughs> and I, I was actually just uh when my when my friend was was staying at my mom's they made uh, a salmon and they made the sort of like marinade for it using scorpion honey. Yes, I love that. Fantastic. Can I just say, if I can have a cheesy moment to appreciate my customers, what I wanted to build was a customer base of adventurous eaters who love to cook and people who would come to the market and talk about cooking with me. That's all I wanted. And that's exactly what I got. So it is the best thing ever when I can stand around at the farmer's market and make money talking to people about their favorite ways to make salmon or roasted veggies or whatever. It's the best thing ever. I'm so grateful for it. Well, you make a lot of people happy. So go to metalhoney.com, uh, get that honey, 
uh, that hot honey from the hot honey. Um, hey. Hey. <laughs> I, think, I, I still, wait. <laughs> Listen, I have this on my phone. I could just go look up what the actual coupon code is. What am I doing? Okay, discount. Well, while you're looking that up, uh, I'm going to give one recommendation that's food related. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been rewatching. This probably should have gone in the early in the opening section, but <laughs> I've been rewatching uh, an anime called Food Wars, uh, also <laughs> called Shokugeki no Soma, um, in the Japanese. We can find it, uh, I think, on Netflix or Crunchyroll, a bunch of different places, mm. and it is all about food. But it's structured like a fighting anime. Amazing. And they literally have food wars. They have high stakes battles <laughs> with cooking. And it is, it get, makes me hungry. And it's extremely horny, um, which is hilarious. <laughs> because when people eat amazing food in this, they're like clothes explode off of them. Men and oh. women alike. <laughs> uh, only sometimes literally, usually figuratively, like in their imagination. Oh, amazing. Right? S- sometimes, literally. Um, but ultimately, it's also about uh, making food that you love, that expresses who you are and brings other people happiness in your life. Um, ah, and uh, yeah, so even if you're not like a food, if you're a food person, even if you're not an anime person, you should watch it. And if you're an anime person, but you're not a food person, you should also watch it. You should definitely watch it. Yeah. Yeah. So also, awesome. I, I want to have a food war. Um uh, at some point and also netflix like make a make a food wars like contest <laughs> show like yes go ahead and do that it would be pretty fucking sweet <laughs> that would be awesome yeah uh well thank you so much for letting me uh talk this out with uh, a learned person in the nonprofit world who laughs in the face of such small uh requirements and i agree with you and i hope that uh this sort of the tone cools off here locally and yeah. we can all have a sensible conversation about you know i just want to say everybody's sane criticisms about this are valid and i would like these same people to say things like we will not use this to you know punitively harm people mm-hmm. politically or you know use this information gathered in a in a non-positive way that's fine i think that's great and so that's it was great talking to you about this, Sarah. I, I love this topic. I think it's so important. And yeah. um, this, but that's going to do it for us for this week. Um, this has been the Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. Until next time, stay curious. Bye. <laughs>